Jenny, Jordan, and Claudette have all been highly involved in our local PFLAG chapter here in Charlotte. Claudette has been on a journey of raising several children who are part of the LGBTQ community, while Jordan and Jenny are both teachers who've become the de facto queer representatives at their school. Could you all three just introduce yourself and tell me a little more about you and your involvement with PFLAG and or One Voice Chorus? My name is Jenny, and I've been a member of One Voice Chorus, I think, for about four or five years. And I've been a member of PFLAG Charlotte for over nine years now. And I was a board member for about four or five years, somewhere around there. I'm not currently a board member anymore. And those two organizations are a big way that I am involved in my community. And I see them interconnected in a lot of ways. So I'm proud to be part of both of them. I'm Jordan, and I am a member of One Voice Chorus, I think going on six years now. I first um, encountered One Voice Chorus at a Pride Festival and just knew I had to sign up and I've been with them ever since. And I've been with PFLAG for about that long as well. Um, Jenny introduced me to, uh, to PFLAG and uh, I also served as a board member for four or five years. You know, these, these two organizations have really helped to shape me. I mean, not just as a as a person and as a member of the LGBT community, but as a teacher, you know, I teach high school. And um, so, you know, so much of what I'm able to provide by way of emotional um, support and resources for my students comes from One Voice Chorus and from PFLAG. My name is Claudette and I am, by career, I am a nurse and I'm originally from Jamaica, West Indies. I have been with PFLAG now for a little over four years, I think. I have um, a son who is uh, transgendered and also a son who is um, gay. And that's what brought me to PFLAG to begin with. PFLAG has been um, a rock for me and my family. Um, they have been supportive um, for us as we navigated um, the journey with our children and um, has helped us to be on the other side. And now we can uh, give back uh, to those who are coming behind us. So our youngest, um, Alicia, she is 13. Devin is 18. Um, we have a 28-year-old, a 29. Um, my 29-year-old is the one who's gay. And then um, our oldest is 39. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, maybe we should just take a minute to talk a little bit about what PFLAG is and what it's all about. PFLAG used to stand for parents, friends, and family of lesbians and gays. It no longer uh, uses that acronym. It still uses the name PFLAG because it's been around for oh, about 45 years or so, uh, a national organization. But what we're really about, it's a support, education, and advocacy group for those who have the loved ones in the LGBTQ community. One of our main functions is we offer once a month uh, support group meetings for parents, friends, and family who have those loved ones in the LGBTQ community. What it provides is a place, a safe place for them to talk about uh, the challenges and uh, get support and understanding from those who are all parts of that journey of acceptance and to talk about ways to get resources, to talk about ways to be advocates for those loved ones that you have, especially if they're children in schools or if they're going through uh, a transition with their gender or 
whatever might um, come along the way. And it's a great place to meet people who have an understanding of where you're coming from. So you don't have to over explain. There's a lot of people who will be able to say, oh, that, that's something I understand. That's something I've experienced. And it's a way to just have that community uh, that you often need when you're um, trying to fight for people you care about. Uh, well, so Claudette, I, I'm sure you've talked about this in PFLAG before, but I would love to hear how you first found out about PFLAG and how you first came to that organization. Because as you say, you've been with us for, for a while now. It's hard to remember a time that you weren't part of PFLAG. So when our son came out as being transgendered, uh, we were having a difficult time. Um, for most of you, have, you've heard me talk about our background being Jamaicans and um, Jamaicans being anti anything other than um, straight. So um, we struggled for a long, long time. And even when our son um, chose to go to um, a therapist that was affirming, we struggled with that too, um, to get there. And so um, the therapist suggested that this was a group that we would be, we could benefit from as a family. And I resisted that too, um, until one day it was just um, so, so difficult um, for us going through this with our son that we decided that um, we were gonna give it a try. So we reached out to Karen um, and she said, you know, we can meet privately, you know, you can come and we can talk and you can just see how it is. You wanna stay, you stay and you don't wanna stay. And she wasn't uh, one that was very pushy. Um, you know, she um, met us where we were um, and so we started going and just never looked back. So you first went to PFLAG when your son Devin came out as trans, but it seems like you're saying it was hard for you to do that because of your background. Was there anything specific that was going on that served as a catalyst for you to finally start seeking more support? So Devin was actually in his um, last year of middle school when we started observing um, some problems. He had started cutting. We were also attending a church that was not affirming at all. Um, so this was also a struggle because Devin was very involved in the youth group. He was on uh, the orchestra um, and all of that. So I, I'm sure that he was going through a lot of emotions at that time. He also knew our background and knew that as Jamaicans that it was not necessarily uh, at the time um, something that we would probably would embrace, um, would end up in the emergency room uh, sometimes uh, because he would be cutting himself or taking um, uh, medications um, to hurt, harm himself. With our, our oldest son who um, came out as being gay, I can say that we did not handle that situation very well. The therapist that our, that we would take our son to um, didn't really involve us in the process as much as Devin's therapist did. And so we didn't have the tools um, to deal with um, our, our son at that time. So um, thankfully for Devin, um, we, Devin's therapist was, was much different and um, we were able to get the tools that we needed to help Devin and also help us as well. So this has been a, a rather, um, like, a, it's been a quite a long journey for you all so far. It has been, but some days it still feels like only yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Devin still uh, struggles emotionally. Um, and so it's every day is um, sometimes still a roller coaster. I think we as a family are um, at a good place. We actually ended up 
changing our church uh, because we realized that the church was not going to be a place um, that we felt comfortable in. So we now go to a different church that is that is affirming and Devin feels comfortable there and we feel comfortable there. I think sometimes though, the, the, the concern for me sometimes is being Jamaicans and Devin wants to learn about his heritage and all of that. But I can tell you that um, I would be very nervous about taking uh, Devin to Jamaica because um, the culture is still very anti um, anything other than straight. I would love to hear how you came to find your affirming church and how you knew that they were going to be a good fit for you and your family. So you have to understand my husband was very involved in this church too. He was a deacon at the church. He um, taught uh, Sunday school and everything. And um, when we decided that, you know, it was time for us to make the move, um, we started going to several churches. We went first to this church, uh, Myers Park Baptist. And when we went the first time, it was during the summer and they had what they call um, teach back after the pastor um, had preached and the sermon was over. They would gather afterwards for you to ask the pastor any question or challenge him on what he had um, just preached. And I thought, oh my God, this had never happened to me anywhere where you could ask the pastor anything, you know? So that was kind of intriguing. So we went, um, but we decided to um, go to a few more. Um, and we kept going back to Myers Park. And the, and the thing that was kind of uh, nerve wracking for us was that it was in Myers Park, you know? But when we got there, you know, everyone was just accepting. Um, the pastor was accepting. We went out for lunch um, afterwards to get to know him a little bit better. And um, their um, their stance and what they stand for, um, you know, their, their motto um, every day during their service, they said, you know, we're welcome and affirming. You could see it, it was visual and it was in action. It was not just words. Yeah, I love that. Cause I know one of the biggest, um, I don't know if concerns is the right word, but with when, you know, when we're looking for a, for a good church, there is a big difference between being affirming and being tolerant. There's a lot of churches in our area that will say like, oh, you can be gay, you can be whatever, you know, we will, you know, we'll accept you, but are they affirming? Right. I was wondering, Claudia, if you could talk a little bit about, because you said when you first reach out to Karen, she's sort of, who's the president of our PFLAG chapter, that, you know, she sort of met you where you were, she gave you options for how to join. Can you talk a little bit about like the first few meetings that you went to um, for PFLAG and sort of what that felt like and what you got out of it um, when you first started, when you first joined, if you remember back to those days? (laughs) I still do actually. Um, So the first, the first time that we met with Karen, um, we met um, individually, my husband and I with her and we were just um, at a very, very emotional um, time in, in, in our lives at that time. Um, but like I said, Karen met us where we were. Um, we met her husband. Um, you know, she would tell us about how she is, is, is going through her, her challenges herself. And, um, and, you know, I could just pour my heart out to her and she didn't judge me um, for where I was. I think the thing that was a little bit challenging for me at the time when we um, decided to start going to meetings was that there was nobody else who looked like me. It's a very white group in a lot of ways. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, that was difficult um, because I didn't feel like there were so many there 
that was so much further along than we were. And I actually felt guilty to say that um, I was questioning um, how I was feeling, how I was questioning, you know, it's not that I didn't love my child, but it's that, you know, this part, and it seemed like everybody there at the time was just all good and they were at a good place and they, you know, and I was like, oh my God, you know, I must be seen as a terrible parent um, to be with this group of people who all were fine and, and doing good, you know, and I was bawling my eyes out all the time, you know, so um, that was difficult for me at first. Yeah, well, I can't even imagine. Um, well, Jenny and Jordan, maybe could you talk about your experiences of when you first joined PFLAG? I joined PFLAG after my first year of teaching, all through middle school and high school, I had been part of GSAs or um, Gender Sexuality Alliances. At the time, I thought I was straight (laughs) and (laughs) all through those years. And, uh, uh, but it just seemed that every friend I made that I was very close to happened to be queer and would come out to me. I I should have taken it as a sign, but you know, it takes me a while. And I did the same thing in college. I was part of the pride group at my college. And then, so I started teaching right out of college in that first year of teaching, I was too busy to do anything. Uh, But after that point, then I was, I had some time, I had less stress and I wanted to find a way to get involved in my community. And the first thing I did was I looked for my local PFLAG chapter because I I sort of saw it as I was in GSA. This is sort of the next step up as an adult. Now I'm part of PFLAG to keep that same advocacy going. And it was actually at a PFLAG meeting that I kind of came to terms with the fact that I wasn't straight, (laughs) which is a whole other story. (laughs) But yeah, but that, yeah, those meetings and the opportunities it gave me to give back to my community and to be a better teacher to my students and create a better environment for them, that's just unmeasurable. So I'm really glad that I've been a part of this community for so long. So Jenny and I met, um, over a little over 10 years ago now, teaching at the same high school here um, in the Charlotte area. And so we we became friends, uh, even though we taught in different departments. Jenny invited me to come to Pride with her that summer and help paint faces um, at the PFLAG booth, and then also to to be part of the float with PFLAG. And, you know, at first I was like, they don't want me part of their float. I'm not part, I'm not in PFLAG. But I mean, of course they were incredibly accepting and I had the most fun. So, I mean, I, you know, through Jenny, I I pretty quickly started coming to meetings and, you know, and I know she and I have a similar experience in that we would regularly go to PFLAG meetings and we were usually the only members there who didn't have children. And, um, you know, I, I often felt when we would have our support, um, our support time, and we would go around the circle and talk, I often felt as though I needed to justify why I was there, because I have no children, and I am not going to have children. Um, But I also have 100 children that I teach every day in my classroom. And, um, you know, even though I teach at a very small charter school, um, we have a pretty decent population of queer children in our school. Um, And I, you know, being part of PFLAG has certainly made me more aware of their needs. And, you know, I, I can, I can say with total certainty that, you know, what I've learned through PFLAG 
the resources that I've that I've received with them, also with Time Out Youth and One Voice Chorus, I've been able to bring back to my classroom. And it's gotten to the point where all the queer kids just find me. And it's a it's, it's sometimes it's a little creepy. Like a kid has literally just met me and they want to tell me about their girlfriend. And I'm like, that's great. But also, wow. Um and, uh, but but also my my coworkers, you know, I, I've I've gone on to um, speak at the Carolina Conference for Queer Youth, and I've done a couple of workshops for my coworkers, and so uh, even the new teachers who we get new teachers every year very quickly realize that if they ever have questions about how to handle pronoun changes or a student who's come out as trans or you know they have any kind of question that involves the community at all they somehow just, they come to me and it's great. Like I, I, it's, that's my purpose and I love it and it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's the best, it's the best part of my job. I mean, teaching is, has never been easy and certainly this year it hasn't, but um, I mean, it's one of the best parts of teaching is being able to provide that support. I mean, I love teaching English and I will talk my kids ears off about literature, uh, but it's, you know, it's when those kids know that they can trust you enough to come to you and you can help them in ways that go beyond just the academics. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that became my identity at my other school. I, I left Jordan behind a, to a different school. She never forgave me. <laughs> but yeah, that was always the best part was that I could be that person on the faculty that's like, you know, this is what I'm about. This is something I feel that I have enough expertise in that I can at least find resources wherever we need them or and so it became that thing where a teacher is like, oh, I have this new student. They told me that they use this name in class and it's not, you know, it's different than what's on power school. I just want to make sure, like, can I introduce them to you, even though you don't have them, just to make sure they know who to talk to? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm just that the go-to faculty that's like, oh, you, you got a queer kid? Send them my way. That's what I'm for. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so the musical selection that I picked to go along with this episode is called Chris and Gabe. And it's a setting of an NPR StoryCorps interview with Chris Lopez and her son Gabe, who is eight and transgender. Uh, we're going to play the music at the end, and I'll put a link to the original interview in the show description. But this is the text that the composer set to music. Did you think that I'd stop loving you? How could I ever? I love you. I love you more. I love you most. Do you remember when things really changed for you? We went to a camp and I met three best friends. That's why I say we're bros. We know each other. Do you ever get scared about what it's going to be like to grow up transgender? I've been wondering if, when I'm older, a lot of people will try to hurt me or something. Like if they find out you were born a girl? Yes. Mm-hmm. Were you ever worried about telling me you are transgender? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was worried you liked me as a girl. Because we used to have fun together? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do we still have fun? Yes. Mm-hmm. My love for you will never change. You amaze me every day. I love you. I love you more. I love you most. It sounds like a conversation I could have had with Devin and um, kind of makes me emotional. You know, the, I think that was um, probably one of the hardest thing for me while I loved um, Devin. So um, 
uh, Corey, you, you probably don't know this, but I'm sure Jenny and Jordan know this, that uh, Devin uh, it just amazes me. You know, he's very eloquent, um, not like his mom, you know. And yeah, he's very impressive if you get to meet him. As a girl, um, Devin um, was... Um, at the time, you know, doing extremely well in school as a straight A student. And then, uh, you know, um, when he started struggling with his identity, um, that his grades um, really started plummeting. Um, someone we were actually worried at one point whether or not he would even graduate from high school. Needless to say, he graduated from high school with, a, with an associate's degree. But I think for us too, a part of what had to happen was that we had to actually feel like having a funeral for that daughter that we thought that we we had and um, also um, letting those expectations that we had too for that daughter die along the way you know and I think that sometimes was the difficult part um, we had to let go of what we thought was going to be um, once we were able to let that go um, I think it was easier um, to navigate that path but it was almost like having a funeral um, so he would say that I, w I was like the mama bear because once we decided that this was where we were, you know, it was, okay, so what do we need to do? What do, what do we need to do? Getting his name changed, getting his birth certificate, getting his passport, you know. Um, so I think that also helped us along the journey is that as we uh, transitioned and helped him to um, be who he uh, was meant to be, then that also helped us to bury um, that other person. Okay, right, right. Is there anything else, Jenny and Jordan, that you'd like to share about your experiences with PFLAG over the years? Jenny and I, um, for the last last couple of years, we used to do uh, LGBT 101 workshops for local churches. And we, uh, we started at, uh, at St. Stephen's. One of their members was coming to PFLAG meetings and they're like, our church has this need. You know, we want to be affirming. We don't want to just be accepting. And, you know, we, we want to make sure that all of our members are comfortable. But, I, but they felt like a lot of their parishioners just didn't understand what um, even just the terminology meant. And so, um, you know, we we went in thinking it was going to be like maybe 10 people and it ended up being like 40 people. No, it was like 60. It was a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> it was a huge group. Luckily, we had planned ahead. <laughs> we had sort of a, a process. We went first through the uh, LGBTQ, like the long acronym. We did all of the letters and sort of went through and you know, we explained every single one of them because some of them, like everybody knows, but some of them, they're like, I didn't know what the A stood for. I don't know what the Q stands for. How is it used? And so we went through the acronyms. We went through some statistics, how much it changes the statistics of self-harm or um, suicide just by being accepting and affirming that you can, you can change those stats um, for the better. And then just talking about what's the relationship between the church and the LGBTQ community? Like how many are still going to church? How many decide to leave? How many have negative experiences? So giving them perspective on why this matters. And I think that was pretty effective. And then taking questions, people had questions. <laughs> so one group was interesting because they wanted us to talk about, you know, how do we talk about these things to different age groups. Like if my child's in elementary school, how do I talk about this versus my child's in middle school versus in high school? Like what kind of terminology should I use? How much do they need to know? What books do you recommend? So that one was kind of fun because it was a little bit more, you know, uh, 
teaching strategies and, and, you know, pedagogy almost. So it's like, yeah, this is what they can handle. If this podcast somehow went viral, is there anything that you'd want the listeners to know? I mean, I certainly hope that anybody listening to this podcast just realizes if they haven't had the chance already that there are people in your community, in your country, and in the world who care about you and who want to support and help you. There is education out there. And no, it does not always going to feel that way. But you know, we've we have parents like Claudette who are advocating for their children. She's not alone. Yeah. I think it's also something that I've learned a lot from PFLAG um, over my years being there is that things get better and you can't you can't predict if it's going to work out okay, but you also there's really is no time when you can say, oh, they're never gonna get it. People have come in and told their story and say, for years, I, I was convinced that this was a sin. This was the worst thing that could happen to my child. And I never, and I could never get over it. And then something clicks or, or something happens or just you, the wearing down of those ideals uh, being, you know, be, because of the love and support that they've experienced and they come around. And so, although that we can't guarantee it's gonna always happen, there's just so many stories out there of people realizing that the love they have for their family and their children is so much stronger than the hate they've been taught or told by other people. And there, there is no, there's nobody who's, um, who's a lost cause. You, you, you can, there's still hope for a lot of people out there. And so it, that's what's been most inspiring to me is meeting those people who it was a long, hard struggle, but they're here. And that's just so rewarding. You know, Jenny, I, I was thinking about something as you were um, saying that. So yesterday, of all the people I was um, listening to were some politicians, right? And um, so um, there was this um, psychologist and he was saying that how the culture that we live in today, that it's not okay for us to change our minds um, when we know better, right? And so um, he was saying that it's, it is okay for us to change our minds, you know, that when we know better, we do better, right? Um, and, and I think sometimes that is, we, we are in a society where it's not okay for us to say, you know, to be here today and say, no, tomorrow I got more information and more knowledge and therefore I changed my mind. And I think, I think that our society has to give us the okay to be able to do that, you know, or we need to take that, uh, even if society doesn't give it to us. And if, uh, if gender identities and sexuality are fluid, acceptance can be fluid as well. And it's, and it's almost always in the, the right direction. Right. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to do that. But yeah, letting people grow and change and letting people, forgiving people for who they were and recognizing that they're, they're trying to do better and they can be better. Love is universal. It doesn't matter what someone looks like what um, they identify as, who they're sleeping with. We should just love each other, you know, and that there are people um, that are willing to love them regardless of who they are and that they are safe places, safe spaces. We should just love each other.
Asia is a podcast from One Voice Chorus, the LGBTQIA and Allies Chorus of Charlotte, North Carolina. View our performances on YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching One Voice Chorus Charlotte. Please subscribe and rate Asia. You can also support our chorus by making a donation at www.onevoicechorus.com.